Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Jonathan DeBurka Butler is here once again to bring us stories from other parts of the world. Jonathan, good Sean, afternoon. Uh, right, South Korea we're going to go to uh, first. And uh, this is uh, about the arrest of a soldier and a businessman. A soldier and a businessman. It's really the story of the two Koreas uh, in many respects. Uh, this businessman was a 38-year-old uh, who ran a cryptocurrency site. And about six okay. years ago, he was contacted by a North Korean agent who suggested that he would give him some money if he helped the North Korean agent to find out information that he wanted to know about the South Korean military, right? Now, this particular businessman uh, then went and he approached several people, most of whom told him to leave them alone, go away, and they weren't yeah. going to do anything. Uh, but then the North Korean agent at some stage, now this is sort of taking place over the last five or six years, so it's, it's actually quite a long-term thing. At one stage, the North Korean agent actually got in touch with a, uh, an army captain himself, a 29-year-old army captain, and put the two men together, right? So this businessman was paid approximately 520,000 euros, okay, it was about 700 million won, okay, to come up with the goods that were needed by this army captain to go into take photographs or get, gather the intelligence mm. that the North Korean agent wanted. So one of the things that he had was a, was a wristwatch, apparently, that he, he you know supplied to this army captain. And the army officer actually didn't use the wristwatch in the end. And that's, this is probably one of the reasons why the South Korean authorities were able to catch him in the end, because he went in and he used his mobile phone and all that data was on his phone and was right. easy to be seen. So they've been caught... Um, and they have been indicted. And interestingly enough, I was trying to find out because the the act, I think, that they're guilty of breaking or the law that they're guilty of, of breaking comes under the National Security Act. And they can go to prison for up to seven years only uh, for their part in this particular espionage. Um, I thought that was quite lenient, uh, to uh, be honest yeah. with you. Um, and and th- 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 as far as they know, do they know all the information that may have been uh, uh, accumulated by this chap and how much of it was sent to North Korea. So the agent was after what's called the Joint Command and Control System, which is South Korea's confidential military network, right? He wanted to hack into that. And so far, we know that they failed to gain access to that, but he did. the captain did pass on the login information for the network and some Im- images of the website. Um, so how far they'll be able to go into that I don't know. Now, I remember we were talking a few weeks ago about the North Koreans and mm. them picking up people who are good at maths and they're very good at hackers, uh, at hacking, sorry. Yeah. Um, so no doubt they'll work away on those systems with that information that they've got, but uh, it remains to be seen how far they'll get in. Uh, also interesting that uh, this person, this agent in North Korea can transfer money to someone in South Korea, given there's supposed to be all sorts of embargoes upon that it's, sort of uh, thing. But your man ran a crypto business. Uh, the businessman ran a cryptocurrency Right, okay, um, so that's how so that's then. how he was paid. Yeah, yeah. It was sorry. It was the I did say seven hundred million won, but it was the equivalent of seven hundred yes. million won in crypto. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. Whatever that is. Yeah. Uh, right. Today. <laughs> yeah. uh, yes. Or this minute, Singapore. I'm going to go to next, uh, where uh, they've executed a man who had an intellectual disability. Yeah, a sad story of uh, Nagathran Darmalingam, who was a 34-year-old um, man from Malaysia. He was 24 when he went into Singapore with 44 grams of heroin. Now, just to put it into context, a bag of sugar is 454 grams. Okay. So it's not yeah. a big amount of, of heroin. However, there is a limit 
to the amount of heroin that you can bring in, not that you can do it legally, but into Singapore, which is 15 grams, right? Yeah. So as you know, they have a very, um, very hard laws in Singapore around heroin and drug trafficking yeah. in general. And he was sentenced to death, convicted in 2000 and 2010, late 2010. But there was a moratorium put on his ex- execution and it was delayed because Singapore were considering and eventually they improved of life imprisonment for people who were couriers or deemed to be mentally incapable of knowing what they were doing. Yeah. Right. So this is why there was the delay, because it's 12 years later and he's finally executed last week. He had an IQ of 69. Uh, and this is what his lawyers and indeed his family were arguing all along. The Malaysian government even got involved last week and they sent a letter pleading for clemency for this particular chap, even though they have their own similar laws, yeah. which, are, which aren't exactly lenient when it comes to drug trafficking. Um, but his appeal was thrown out, I think, a week and a half ago. And last week he was uh, he was hanged, unfortunately. Yeah. And so the court deemed that he was mentally capable enough to fully realise what he was doing and fully realise what the possible penalty for that is. Yeah, the, the the problem for this particular man was that when he was caught initially, he confessed and then he retracted his confession. He said that he'd been coerced into it. He said that he, his girlfriend had been threatened by some guy that was called the King who forced, you know, strapped this package to his uh, thigh and, you know, got him got him into, uh, forced him to bring it into Singapore. Um but it seems that the courts all the way along, and there's been a few appeals, uh, basically didn't believe that retraction. And um, so even though the law had changed around A, capable, uh, mental capability and B, um, around couriers, they didn't believe either side of his story. So he didn't qualify yeah. for that clemency. Uh, is it known within Singapore what the general attitude is towards uh, carrying out a sentence like this? They're all for it. Yeah. There, there was a survey done in 2020 and I think... When it came to this particular um, crime of drug trafficking, 66% were in favour. In general, I think 83% of people in Singapore that were asked, obviously, um, approve of it as a way of deterring this kind of crime. My word. Right, Pakistan, we're going to go to next, where Chinese people are being uh, targeted. They are, yeah. This all goes back to the story of Balochistan, which is that huge region in the southeast of the country that borders Afghanistan and Iran. Um, effectively, the people, just about 60% of the people who live there are Balochis. So they're very different from Pashtuns who make up the vast majority of Pakistan. Okay, They're more akin to Iranians, really. Right. Mm. So for a very long time, they've been looking for their own separate state. Okay, Now, while all of that has been going on over the last number of decades, the Chinese have, of course, put an awful lot of investment into this um, Belt and Road scheme that we've been talking about for a very long time. And a key component of that scheme is uh, the China-Pakistan economic corridor that runs from Xinjiang, yeah. home of the Uyghurs, all the way through Balochistan and uh, out into the Gulf of Ara- the Arabian Sea. Okay, And the Balochis basically feel that they're not getting a fair crack of the whip. The investments that they said they were going to get isn't being put in. So that, tied to this separatist issue, is seem- seeing a ramping up of attacks on Pakistani military, but also on Chinese workers and Chinese investors who are there in Balochistan working on this Belt and Road initiative. Um, So in this particular case, uh, it happened on Tuesday, a female suicide bomber attacked a minibus in Karachi, which is the biggest city really in in the southern uh, part of Pakistan. Three Chinese nationals were killed and their Pakistani driver were killed. Not the first time Chinese nationals have been targeted. In fact, I believe 
three years ago. There was an attack on the embassy itself and they actually went after the ambassador uh, in a hotel in 2020. I think four people died, but they didn't get the ambassador. So it's a change of tactics by the Balaki separatists. They're called the BLA, Balaki Liberation Army, of course. And uh, something that is of concern to both China and Pakistan, as you can imagine. Yeah, you'd imagine so. And uh, does the BLA issue a statement after these kind of attacks and say what it is they want? Yeah, they they claim this. Uh, it's been quite clear. They, they even gave details of who she was. They told told them that she was a teacher, 30-year-old woman, former student, well-educated. Right. Um, first time they've used a female suicide bomber, actually, I believe. Um, and it's it's interesting because they're moving their tactics away from the area that they're concerned with and into the cities. Yeah. Uh, probably trying to bring the message home both to urban Pakistanis and also the Chinese. As much information gets into China about it, I don't know. Um, but probably trying to get their attention. Yeah. Right, Colombia we're going to go to uh, next. And actually, yeah, this is an interesting one given that there has been so many accusations made against uh, the, the, the police and the military in certain parts of the country and uh, the way they might treat civilians. Uh, an admission here to killing civilians. Yeah, it's it's part of the peace deal that was signed between FARC and the government in 2016 as part of the, um, uh, you know, the, the, the uh, sorry, as part of the peace deal. So they've got these special courts, a special jurisdiction for peace. They're called JEP courts, okay? And what can happen at this is that if you were played a part either in military or police in the war, and you committed war crimes effectively, you can come along here, admit your guilt, and instead of going to jail, you'll be admitting your guilt, you know, to the people that it matters, but you might have to do something else, like, you know, be involved in building roads or something like that. Right, OK. okay. Um, so this particular case came about, I think there was 11 former military involved in, in this particular hearing last week, and six of them took responsibility for killing 120 civilians between 2007 and 2008. Now, what they said, and I think this was the interesting thing about it was, what they said was that they were told to do this in order to fulfil a quota, to up the kill rate, to make it look as if the Colombian government were winning the war against FARC. And I think this is the more shocking element of it. There was one man who admitted that he placed weapons on them to suggest that it happened in combat, that they were guerrilla fighters. Uh, and this was in front of the relations of, 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 of people as well, that these soldiers had to admit it. So I think that's the most shocking element of it, the fact that they were told from the top, up your kill rate, we don't care how you do it. Yeah. I, I wonder, will there be ramifications for that? Uh, uh, for the, If they were given these orders, obviously, from a high level in, in the Colombian military, are some of those people still there? Well, that is the thing that I think is the, is the, uh, is the carrot here for the people who are standing up. They're the ones who are, you know, spilling the beans eventually to build a case around people who are may might still well be might well still be in place, sorry, yeah. uh, and to build a case around their, them because there have been convictions around this in the past. Yeah, uh, that's uh, very interesting because even you know currently there are uh, there are various allegations made against uh, security forces in Colombia. Uh, Benin, we're going to go to now, and uh, where uh, a police officer has been killed. But is would it be the case that nobody knows who or by whom or why? We don't know yet, but the suspicion is that this whole thing that's been happening in and around the Sahel with uh, is Islamic militants yeah. is now spreading, and this is the reason why I've brought it in. When we started looking at what was going on in this part of the world, we started off in Niger and Mali, gradually it worked its way into Burkina Faso. Mm. And now a smaller country again, which is sandwiched in between Togo and Nigeria, Benin, population of about 11.5 million, has stayed out of the way, is on the very fringes of the Sahel. 
but these attacks are now starting here. So we don't know for sure, and there is crimin- general criminality where there's gangs operating in this sure, area. Yeah. But the reason that it kind of made it into, you know, the uh, undercurrents of international media is because the suspicion is that there might be something more going on here with militants. It comes off the back of another attack that killed five police about two weeks ago, I think. Mm. Um, so it doesn't would look the, great. Yeah, would the suspicion be, though, that these aren't homegrown in the sense as Benin has been relatively stable? It has been... You see, what happens is Benin is up there where Niger and Burkina Faso meet each other. So what they'll do is they'll come over, they'll launch the attack, and then they'll go back into these vast national parks where they hide out. The other problem that Benin has is that there's a bit of a dictatorship that's come about in the last three years. Patrice Talon is the new president Mm -hmm. there, and he's been gradually eroding democracy away. Um, So you've got the perfect situation developing. It's happened in all these other countries where a bit of trouble with the government, vacuum uh, needs to be filled and these guys come in and they fill that vacuum. Right, okay. Uh, now, yeah, f- uh, interesting enough, the two final stories are both kind of tourist destinations. This one is about where people in Morocco arrested for breaking Ramadan. I, I found this so bizarre because if you've ever been to Morocco, and maybe it's just because we're white Westerners, yeah. they, they kind of tend to look the other way when it comes to sort of breaking mm. l- little laws, shall we say. I don't, don't need to go any further. Mm. Um, but yeah, this is around R- Ramadan. Under Article 222 of the Penal Code, uh, breaking the fast in public is punishable by up to six months in prison. And this happened in Casablanca, which would be the most liberal of the cities yeah. there, really. It happened outside a very specific cafe. Apparently, 80 people were arrested. Most of them were young. Uh, according to witnesses, there's a lot of international schools around there. And it's believed that some people went to this cafe. There'd been a series of complaints around loud music and smoke about it over the past and nothing had been done. So I think the locals were getting a bit annoyed about this cafe owner allowing this to happen, particularly during Ramadan. Police were called and they now had an excuse to arrest these people. 80 people were arrested in the end. Oh, right. uh, as I said, most of them were quite young, so I don't know how many convictions we're going to get out so, of it. So technically the offence is breaking Ramadan in public. In public. Yeah. yeah. Uh, because obviously how are you going to figure out if someone's doing it, it in their own house? Well, indeed, yeah. And under the Constitution, you're allowed to do what you want under Article 3. Yeah, so. I... I... I thought that, that actually, under Islam, you don't, ne- you know, it isn't a hard and fast rule. You have to observe uh, Ramadan, but I could be wrong on that one. Uh, right. And uh, finally, Spain, another um, uh, holiday related, uh, well, a holiday destination, but this might affect people. They're going to ban smoking on beaches. In Barcelona, yeah. They're bringing it in on the 1st of July. Uh, they ran a pilot in 2021. So last year it was very successful. Uh, and so so now they're going to bring it in from the 1st of July no more smoking on the beaches in Barcelona uh, that's it uh, you'll be fined not straight away I think they're bringing it in gently but eventually you'll be fined 30 euros it's probably the price of a pack of cigarettes now anyway uh, 30 euros uh, for smoking on the beach uh, in a few months time yeah, I'm not sure when the fine kicks in and given it's outdoors is the motivation behind this is it just the, the secondhand smoke is there a component of, of yeah it's the dirt yeah. it's actually the five billion butts that go into the water every wow. year from smokers uh, around the world so that's that's what it is and so they're starting in Barcelona 
it's probably it's it's actually being debated in Spain at the moment as well to broaden it out onto other beaches. So yeah, could be a few unhappy campers this well, year. I would imagine so. Will they have smoking areas? That's or, a, that's something that has been suggested, all right. But I think not in not in Barcelona. They're not going to do it. No. Or, will they have fellas wandering into the sea, lighting up out there? And say, I'm not on the beach. <laughs> on a technicality, <laughs> probably. <laughs> you can't do it to me, right? What should we look out for uh, in the coming week, Jonathan? Okay, so three things to watch out for. I think um, there's a lot of people flying around. The place uh, much more than there was during the pandemic. That's for sure. Uh, one of them is Narendra Modi. He's coming to Europe this week, so mm. he's Denmark, Germany, France, a few other places probably. Says he's going to come to talk about the environment, but there's no doubt he's going to be pressured to put pressure on Russia. I'd yes, say, indeed. Right? Yeah. Uh, Thursday, absolutely get the popcorn out for this one. Uh, late night viewing local elections in the UK. Uh, we'll see how the Tories get on mm. and if it spells the end uh, for Boris Johnson. Who knows, he might do another ah, Houdini. You don't know, he might do better. Yeah, <laughs> He probably will. Yeah. And then elections in the Philippines, uh, the end of Duterte, but um, I think his daughter is running. Yes. Uh, we might have a chat about that next week. Yeah, that'll be one to watch. All right, Jonathan, thanks, thanks a million sure. as ever. Jonathan DeBurka Butler, there you are listening to the Moncrief Show on Newstalk. We're going to take a break after that, the rise of the voice note. Moncrief. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Weekdays at 2pm. On News Talk.